Welcome to Zeitgeist with Zach Geist. I'm your host, Zach Geist. This show is made possible by Student Loan Tutor, which you can find at studentloantutor.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment and give us a review. Thank you. Welcome to Zeitgeist with Zach Geist. This is your host, Zach Geist. And today I'm here with Dr. Doug Brackman um, on a topic that is kind of more unusual for me. And if you notice that I don't have my normal studio quality sound on my end, it's because right before I'm starting this episode, uh, my mic stand broke and uh, here I am. So I figure we'll both have Apple quality sound. So instead of judging us, you could judge Apple for uh, paid a lot of money for this computer. So hopefully uh, the mic sounds at least decent. Uh, so hopefully we're here for the content and not just for the sound quality. How are you this afternoon, Doug? I'm doing well. Yeah, it's uh, late afternoon my time. So it's always later for everybody else. I'm behind everybody except for my IT guy who's in Australia. So he's actually ahead of me so much that he's behind me. So the tortoise in the hare, which I think we'll we'll get into a little bit today. Um, so. Doug, can you tell us, uh, Doug has two PhDs in psychology and uh, is known uh, for his book, Driven, and working with people that are driven. So people like, who are, who are the driven people you work with? And would we know of anybody like that, either archetypically or like actually know of them personally? Yeah, it, it, it's when I first started to figure this thing out 20 years ago, I used to call it the entrepreneurial mind. Mm -hmm. And just the way we have a different brain structure, we really do have a mind that is wired for a different world. Um, but think Da Vinci. I mean, Da Vinci or, or any of the classic inventors um, is a good way to understand who and what I work with. Um, professional athletes come and go from my world to varying degrees, <laughs> but they too fall into this category. Um, and then I've worked did a bunch of stuff with Navy Special Warfare with um, working with the military guys. I have a huge heart for that, the population that um, seems to put itself in harm's way. <laughs> it's the other way I will say this. You know, firefighters, people that being a risk taker is a very weird thing. It, it's to me internally as a fairly high risk taker, I don't feel like I'm taking risk. Mm. And so that's what makes me a risk taker. Other people that watch my life would say, man, you risk a lot. For me internally, it's like, no, nah, I don't feel that. And so it's a, you know, it's, it's kind of that constellation. It, and it is the ADD, ADHD brain. It is the addictive personality type, type A personality, um, shame-based personality. There's, there's kind of this constellation of um, people that are different. About eight or nine percent of the population. Eight or nine percent, not eighty-nine. Eight or nine percent. Eight or nine. Daniel Amen, big brain surgeon, brain brain guy out of uh, Irvine, California, says we're about two to three percent. Gina Wickman, the entrepreneurial guy, says we're about four percent. So I'm pretty generous with uh, expanding that into. You know, but we are definitely different. My imposter syndrome was after I wrote the book, the imposter syndrome was the best to me. And I had to validate this to make sure I'm not talking out of my ass. So I created a, um, I actually did a, a scientifically validated 
studied, ran the stats on it, and uh, created a 50-questionnaire assessment, and then sent it out to a national norming agency that, you know, selected a random group of normalized people, and, and we are different is what it comes down to. I think we'll, we'll not begin broken, to, but we are different. We're going to begin to touch on this uh, throughout the episode uh, because you might be listening to this and going, well, hey, I'm not driven, uh, but there's this person that I know that is driven and how in the hell do I relate with them? Uh, yeah. And uh, I definitely appear to have whatever this is in, in droves. Um, and frankly, I've kind of looked at it as a curse, but then the challenge is it also... Uh, is the reason that, you know, I have the trappings of quote unquote success. And I put that in, you know, very parenthetically. Um, and uh, you also co-wrote this book with uh, a Navy SEAL and MBA as well. So it wasn't just you writing this book. It was also with, with him as well. Yes. And it was, in, it, it's really a reflection of the last 30 years of my work. So, you know, when I started my, came out of undergrad and graduated in 1990, started grad school in 91 and literally in 1991 the time magazine article came out that said aha we found the alcoholism gene mm. and it was the drd2-e1 allele gene it was the first time they suspected you know and confirmed that underlying alcoholism is this genetic you know genetics um guy a researcher out of texas jumped all over it and he started to study it intensely and within five years figured out that it's related to eating disorders gambling addictions hyper success mm-hmm. like people that are hyper successful tend to have this constellation and then you know and obviously since the early 90s to now science and you know they crack the human genome and and there's now 142 different variables that I've tracked that explain our differences. And so we, we really are different. So Doug, hearing this is like one of those moments where if I take what you're saying into my whole picture of psychology and what it means to be a human being, uh, I have to, like it, it's not mentioned by any therapist I've ever worked with or any other psychological work that I've read. And I've read voraciously on this topic because I've been trying to figure out why I'm kind of always, you know, on the edge of things. Um, I'm quite literally on the edge of, of the world right now. I'm on the Hamakua coast of Hawaii. I, I do things that just make no sense to people. Uh, like, like if you were to read in a book and see what I'm doing, it would, I mean, you'd be terrified. Uh, and, and, and like you, I also wasn't scared of things that I should be scared of. Um, I remember doing door-to-door sales and making, you know, I was 18 years old, making, you know, 2,000, 3,000 a week, which was just the beginning. And uh, it, it frankly felt unfair uh, because it seemed like everybody else was afraid of rejection or afraid to get their door slammed on them or yelled at. And for me, uh, I, it didn't bother me at all, like not one bit. I had no feeling at all about that. And uh, as years went on, I've become more quote unquote sensitive as you would call it. But I think at the time, if I had to, I mean, I wouldn't have said it then, but I'll say it now. I feel like I was so steeped in self-shame and fear that like there was nobody that could say anything that could possibly be worse than what I was already in. It was kind of like, 
if you're already in a bucket of cold water, ice cold water, and someone throws more cold water in your water, you just don't feel it. So right. I kind of naturally just succeeded at it. You know, I could do it for 12 hours a day and other people after three hours, they were so emotionally exhausted, they just couldn't function. And left unchecked our genetics and our kind of hyper drive to survive, mm-hmm. for lack of a better way to, to say it, um, will kill us. It will destroy our bodies, destroy, you know, it, it will destroy us. You know, so the very simple theory, you know, is, is that 4,000 years ago, most of the human population adapted to the world around them as it was changing into a sedentary, simple, agricultural, huge societies of simple identity to survive. And, you know, guy who I originally heard this stuff from, a guy named Tom Hartman, you know, he, he proposed it as germ theory, interestingly, um, in that in a germ population, there's always 5-10% that are different than the rest of the normal germs around them. And these differences are, are there to account for potential changes in the environment. And if the environment changes rapidly, these aberrations from normal are more likely to survive. That was his original theory of it, which I thought was really interesting. Later on, he proposed too that, you know, there must be a good reason beyond that, you know, societally why five or 8% of the population are literally wired for a different world. And we're, we, you know, are waiting basically for the next ice age. And we don't fit into, and his, his theory, you know, talks about hunter, hunters versus farmers. Mm-hmm. Farmers are wired for literally to sit around and watch shit grow, which for people like you and me can be, fun. yeah, it's just <laughs> intolerable. <laughs> it's funny it's- because I am a farmer, uh, but uh, the way that I farm is, uh, it drives everybody else crazy. I, uh, farmer is just one, of course, that, that's not all I do because uh, I need to be thinking about, I need to be playing 4D chess with the world at all times. Otherwise, I, I feel panicked, frankly. Like meditation, I know you talk about meditation in your book. I struggle with meditation. And it's, uh, I mean, I even here on the land here where I live in, uh, on 86 acres on the Hamakua Coast on a healing center that we're building, uh, there's actually a meditation temple over the top of a, of a waterfall. It's like the most beautiful meditation temple. Like, it's like, like uh, picturesque. And uh, I've been in there like three times, you know, I've toured people there, like, like going on a tour, but like me sitting in there meditating is like, super challenging. Like, I'll listen, I'll be like, trying to figure out what the bird sounds are. I'll be like, I'll hear someone else's hydroelectric power system. I think we should build a some type of concrete block to, to so that that doesn't I, I notice that the floors a little bit off, and I should have somebody come and, you know, get the floor to fix. Uh, so Meditation is a, is a challenge for me. And I know that you talk about meditation being one of the grounding tools. Uh, I guess I didn't finish saying what I'm saying about farming. Somehow I've managed with farming, uh, instead of sitting and watching things, uh, I end up collecting every possible tree that I could find. I network to try to find them all. And then I'm planting them all over the land in different places until sometimes nine o'clock at night in the pouring rain. So somehow <laughs> I've even managed to take that energy into farming somehow. 
And it, it, it is this unbridled energy to survive. Hmm. And very simply with what's happened, particularly over the last hundred years, I a mean, hundred years ago, there was just crossed a billion people on the planet. Think about a hundred years later, there's almost eight. We figured out the survival thing. <laughs> we, 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 we have, we figured it out to the point where it's going to destroy our planet, you know, cause we can't figure out how to do that and sustain, which is what you're doing. But this misfit for the world is, is often turned into a feeling. And you said it earlier of shame mm. feeling, you know, Can you touch so more we, on that. Can you touch more on the relationship of shame and driven people? Because yeah, I feel so, that I feel that affect. I hear it's not even emotion; it's an affect, which means it's like, like you fully or I, I feel fully engrossed in it at times to where it'll cause me to drink. It's the one thing that will cause me to drink. Other than that, like I've kind of quote unquote overcome that, and every other I've been addicted to everything, uh, everything street drug, and pretty much every pharmaceutical. And it started with alcohol and cigarettes when I was eight. And uh, even before that with alcohol, I, would, I was an altar boy at like, like five. And then we would drink the wine. I'm like, oh my God, oh, oh, what is this? <laughs> oh, oh, everything is calmed down, you know? Like <laughs> That is, it's the greatest line I ever heard at an AA meeting. And I've been to 10,000s of them. I mean, it's, it, 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 <laughs> the greatest line I ever heard was an alcoholic spends an eternity trying to escape from a reality that never existed in the first place. That's and so, <laughs> and, and so it very simply, you know, I could have called my book the shame-based personality type, but it, it doesn't have the appeal your to publisher, your, pub your publisher it, plus the people that are driven who would be driven who would be wanting to buy your book don't identify probably buy, probably buy it in a heartbeat like like because we don't really think that much about it we're just like totally impulsive so and so uh, that shame if you, if you <laughs> very simply understand what shame is shame is a a very simple biological response to anything that we believe might kick us out of the herd. Mm, wow. And so if you don't have shame, you don't have a society. And so it why is we, that- so Why do we feel it more? You said that driven people feel beautiful. it. Beautiful. Yeah. And so the dopamine receptors in our brain, dopamine receptor number two, the one I mentioned earlier, and then the dopamine receptor number four. Dopamine receptor number two is boredom gene. So if you think what boredom is, and you think about a farmer, farmers are very tolerant of extremely predictable worlds. I hate it. I hate predictable worlds. I, I like will sabotage myself just to have an unpredictable situation. Just to create chaos. Because yeah. where we feel, you know, if you think about a hunter, though, a hunter has to feel that sense of buzz in the body that we need something. Why? Because we're not relying on crops. We're not relying on patiently waiting for shit to grow. We have to go and get it. Mm -hmm. And so if we had the farmer genetics back 15, 20,000 years ago, without the farm, we'd be toast. Mm. And so now that the world has turned into this agricultural, farming, predictable, safe, boring world, we're left with this feeling that there's something missing or wrong. And I and guess we get, to, we get to chase success for a while and then heaven forbid you achieve it and then realize 
that you can't get any further. I mean, I remember moments where I achieved successes that were far beyond what I thought was possible. And they, they left me still empty. It's like empty. somehow I hit that. I felt a rush for a moment or it wasn't what I thought, you know? And then again, yeah. I guess what I would say is I, I constantly feel threat and I constantly feel competitive, uh, like competition. I just like live in it. And if, if there's no outside competition, I compete with versions of myself or, you know, projected versions of people that I quote unquote look up to and not just them, but like the highest aspects of them and others that I also look up to. And then somehow feel, you know, I'm pushed almost by the shame of not having reached not right. whatever so those are. Think that about drives what, that, me. What, what happens to driven people and you think about what has happened to 95% is most people are wired to feel satiated with being a butcher, a baker, or a candlestick maker. They're wired for a cubicle. They're wired for a W-2 job that is basically an assembly line. And you sit in the cubicle and it, you know, six months from now, I'm gonna get my 3% raise. And if I do really well, maybe it'll give me 6%. And they, 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 it's very predictable. Where we don't have a brain structure to support that. What's different in our brains from their brains is this thing called the frontal lobe and the, the, they have something, a nice ball of energy right on their left frontal lobe called the executive function. And so they, they literally feel as if they are their job when they're doing their job. That's their identity. Where, and I explain this to driven people, <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? You're what? Yeah, I don't even understand it. Like when I, you're saying, I don't it, get right it. Now, so, I, I literally, I, I can't understand. I, I like, I'm trying to understand it, but I've never had that experience. And so, uh, as a matter is, of fact, I'm almost averse to that. Like, I have a hard time doing something that it, 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 it takes all my attention less, unless it's somehow so demanding that it it can't leave me with any like it has to be super demanding in order to take my attention otherwise my attention is completely all scattered. over the place and, and so yeah. it's it's that scattered attention it's called hypo underactive frontal lobe compared to the rest of the farmers out there but we don't have an underactive frontal lobe we have a we have an active frontal lobe all over the place and so we do something called multi-think we can carry eight, nine, 10 concepts in our head at the same time. That's why, you know, I always joke, if you want to send a driven person to hell, very simply ask them to figure out who they are. Because they're, they're am I, it's Da Vinci. Am I a sculptor? Am I a painter? Am I a historian? Am I a military? Am I a... But the only thing that's consistent in our driven life is this feeling of not enough. And it's so we wind up using our freaking emotions as a core sense of identity. Can you talk about that? What do you mean we use our emotions as a, as a core sense of identity? So my core sense of identity of feeling like I'm not enough. And I, you know, it forces driven people, forces people like us to really deal with our emotions, start to start to question what is this emotion? Cause it, it's, I too, like you, you know, thinking that getting a dual PhD, which is completely ridiculous, 
I mean, it is stupid amount of education. I'm not kidding you. It's dumb. I mean, it's just, you know, 156 units of coursework. It's just stupid. And, you know, Dr. Jim Spira, first guy who ever called me doctor, to, you know, Dr. Brackman, congratulations, Dr. Brackman, reached out, shook my hand. My inner experience was, it was, it wasn't even okay. It was like, it was still not that good. It was not mm -hmm. enough. And those sensations then come up into my monkey mind and I deduce very quickly, ha ha, he bought it. Because I know my inner world of feelings of not enough. And then my- So you tricked, you tricked him. And that's how you got yeah. your D is better how you felt. Right. Yeah, I feel like that too. I feel like Inspector Gadget. That's the archetype that I feel like. Like, I feel like I'm busy doing all these things, you know, and like they never quite work right. But somehow I just like do enough things that somehow someone else ends up doing the right thing. And then like I get some credit somehow. I actually get a lot of credit, uh, which is seem seemingly unfair. And I, and I can hear people listening to this podcast because I know the people who, at least I think I do, maybe I'm wrong, uh, uh, that might listen to this podcast. And, I, and what comes through my mind as I project onto their thinking potentially uh, is this idea that, well, wait a second, are these driven people are they the psychopaths? Are they the sociopaths of, of our of our society? What do you so, think? Now, now, here we go. Um, <laughs> so, so Daniel Amen confirms what the old Navy SEAL saying is, is that there's three types of people in this world. Most people are sheep. Following along very simply the rules, the regulations, the, you know, how to do things, and they're wired for that W-2 world. Then we have either wolves preying on the sheep, or we have sheepdogs protecting the sheep. Hmm. And the answer is drivens. <laughs> we both have a wolf inside of us and a sheepdog inside of every driven person. Hmm. and you know and yes i believe the battle is truly between the different types of drivens out there that are power hungry addicted to power addicted to money addicted to their own glory addicted you know narcissists um hmm. or you know we're heart-led and we're actually trying to to protect the sheep and and but we don't feel understood by the sheep we don't we don't and you know we scare the shit out of the sheep you know you want to you <laughs> yeah. want to make you want to make a driven person crazy is accuse them of being a wolf without any opportunity to explain why they're not hmm. we lose our freaking minds because it triggers that deep shame in us that i might be a wolf hmm. yeah secretly that's what i fear um you know, because we, we have an imagination as being human beings. So we could imagine things, you know, that are terrible and just not do them, but then still identify with the fact that you thought about that thing, even though like those yeah. things are mostly fed into us. Uh, fascinating. I, I also wonder how some people might, I, I might imagine, but this might just be my own perception, uh, that people might take the term sheep as a pejorative. Uh, sheep farmers I have been looking for a good word for that I don't know how else my wife yeah. not, my wife is not a sheep as my wife would tell you 
well, I'm plenty driven. It's just, I'm not a shame-based, you know, self-defensive, you know, I, we are so defensive of ourselves and my wife, she's just not like that. Yeah. No, I'm okay inside. Okay. I'm, I'm good with watching TV for two hours and, you know, and this I is, I could barely, I could barely watch. I mean, unless it's an amazing, like it has to be an absolutely incredible movie. Otherwise I can't just, I feel like I've got to be doing something um, deeply. Like I, and if I read a book, it's got to be super, super challenging. Um, you know, I, and I can't just do the dishes. I have to like do the dishes while listening to like the most complicated new fresh audio book of something that I've never heard of before. Uh, the problem is, is that it keeps me from really, you know, I've accidentally mastered some things, but it, you know, kind of keeps me from really sticking with certain things. I like only get good enough to find somebody to then do that's better than me to do whatever that thing is. And this is not something I'm like even consciously doing. I just, I'm like, ah, I know enough to know I don't want to do this anymore. And this person seems to be good. And then they do it. But then I feel shame because I'm like, fuck, I should be doing this. You know, like, why not do it? You know, we had a workshop here where we built this dome that's right out here. I'll probably move. I don't want to risk screwing up the recording, but I'll show you. We built a dome out of Aircrete. There was like 30 of us here and doing it. And I lasted about two days, three days. And uh, and the pace was way too slow for me. And I went crazy. And I tried to like, I'm going to get myself to do it. I'm running around planting trees, doing Zoom meetings. Like, like I'm doing everything except just doing that. But I'm popping back over there, you know, and... Uh, and so yeah. if you think about what Driven's, we're wired for a world full of saber-toothed tigers. We're wired for a world with cave bears. We're wired for a world that isn't existing any longer. So what do we do about that, Doug? What do we, what do, we do about the First and foremost, know that's true. And, you know, learning how to actually experience safety. You had mentioned a story that stuck in my mind uh, since we spoke last about a Navy SEAL coming into your office after a dinner. Uh, I don't know if you want to touch on that. Uh, and Because that's so unusual. Like, I think someone would just think that that person is a quote unquote psychopath. Like, that's the term that would be given to someone who would do what this gentleman did. And, that, you know, sad but true, I've done equally bizarre things like that on more more times than I care to count and then the shame I experience after is is devastating and it's that you know the difference between a sociopath so sociopathy which all drivens to varying degrees fall into that category because we understand the rules I know the rules but it's this second grade third grade experience that most drivens can relate to of guys this is bullshit we are wasting our time here memorizing this crap. Like, don't you guys get it? Don't you get what a waste of time this is? Don't you get this is stupid? And most of the class would, no, they don't get it. Hmm. They don't. And so that, that feeling that we're different, feeling that we don't fit in, feeling that we, and you get that wrapped up into, you know, a really you know, traumatizing world, because it is, it can be, you know, particularly if our parents are driven, that we, we, we learn very quickly that we, we run all the time. 
because why do we have to keep moving? Because what happens when we stop is that actually the reality of our feelings start to come up. And if you know you have a shame-based personality and you misinterpret those feelings, and I mean truly misinterpret them as you know that you're going to get kicked out of the herd. You'll learn to hide them, you'll learn to push them away, you learn to you shove them up. But when do they come up? And they only come up when you're safe. And so that logical understanding is what I give all my drivens. Because at some point, you know, the combat's over. At some point in your life, you know, you, you are forced to actually look inside and question these feelings. I mean, for you working on the yurt or working on your dome, and it, it's like, oh, you feel discomfort. But why am I feeling discomfort? Yeah. Because the world is safe enough for you to feel it now. And that logical understanding of that, that ability to actually know I'm safe. I know I'm safe. How do you know you're safe? Because I can look at the walls, I can use my eyesight, there's no cave bear here. But then why is my body freaking out? My body's freaking out because it's safe enough to freak out now. It's all back, it's almost backwards. When it everything is, backwards. is chaotic you feel more calm because uh, you could focus on something that yep. is it's almost like in alignment with the with the whole state of consciousness like it's in, it's like you're almost in a symphony like all of a sudden the environment is in a symphony with your whole organism and uh when everything is safe it's like all you have is this chaotic thing going like target 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 i picture like like the terminator arnold schwarzenegger or something like exactly. target 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 and there's like you can't find the target so you i don't know i've i, I find that sometimes throughout my life i've i think i've sabotaged intentionally uh not intentionally sorry that's not accurate uh, i've sabotaged unconsciously uh because if i knew i did it intentionally i wouldn't be able to do it um it's, and I think it's because I saw a threat that wasn't there. I interacted with the threat that wasn't there. And in some way, I created enough smoke to make it look like a fire. And then I start pouring water all over it. And, uh, it. and that's yeah. my doctoral dissertation was about self-sabotage. It, 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 it's why January sucks at the gym. And why you haven't heard a lot of what, you know, I talk about, you know, from other psychologists is because most psychologists deny the shit out of this. They don't want to believe it, hmm. that we're really not in control of ourselves. You know, because everybody makes this New Year's resolution, January 1, that I'm going to get to the gym and I'm going to go to every, you know, three times a week. Do, 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 do. I just did this slide for a presentation I'm doing. 78% of people don't even remember their New Year's resolutions by February 14th. Wow. You forget. That's surprising. You go back to sleep. And it, it's literally who's in control of my life then. Who's in, who as is, you who experience is this, this, yeah, as you experience it, you can, you can see, observe yourself, absorb, observe your physical being feeling all of this stuff while you're standing next to something that you perceive to not be moving fast enough. And it's very discomforting 
but what's happening inside your body is not an accurate reflection of reality. That's called meditation. And so what's happening in my body doesn't match reality. And so as you look around, eyeballs open, and you really anchor yourself in reality, you spontaneously will start to breathe deeper. You spontaneously start to regulate yourself. It's, it, the body knows it's a hundred million years of organic intelligence that knows how to actually self-regulate. Mm. But then very quickly, it starts to dysregulate again because it's old patterns, old traumas starting to come up past life crap, whatever you want to call this stuff. I mean, it gets real hippy dippy, but it's really just biology. And most yeah, I mean, us, even biology is showing that our, you know, if you look at the language, you know, a lot of it's, uh, uh, you know, biology, modern day science would say that, you know, your ancestors are your epigenetics, you know, ep yeah. epigenetic expressions. I mean, they-, they For they, four they, generations. And if you think we're all just a bunch of monkeys, we're all just a bunch of animals and we are epigenetically, which means that, you know, nature and nurture is the answer is yes. You no longer can separate those two, but the genetics are, you know, we're, we're hardwired in our mother's stomachs for the world we're about to go into. And based on the mother's history and based on the mother's life at that at that time, at that time, and for generations after generations after generations. And if you think about how much we've changed just in the last, I mean, the wheel is like, what, 12,000 years old, 18,000 years, we've been on the planet for 140,000 years, this, this we're not wired for freaking cell phones. I mean, we are so far from that. You know, our transportation device was our feet for 99% of our experience. So our biology and our body is, is not designed for rapid adjustment to new environments. And so what we do is we have an inner world in our bodies and until you get a hold of me and get a hold of some of this psychology, biology understanding, what most people are doing is creating an outer world to fit their inner world. And so if I feel chaotic inside, I need to create chaos outside. And that was literally my doctoral dissertation. You should look at what I'm looking at right now. It's like <laughs> total, chaos. total chaos. It's like absolute chaos. I mean, I've got like a half finished dome over here. I've got carports. There's 40 people on the land here just recently. You know, I've got Zoom meeting pop-ups popping up from you know, my own four companies um, that are all <laughs> in operation. Uh, it's like playing external 40 chess. And, you know, uh, there's, there's aspects of it that I really love. Like it's put me in contact with many people. It's caused me to learn, learn a lot. Um, uh, I've really been tapping and I really want to go this direction with you, Doug, because I feel like we've been on this biological piece and I've spoken with you before. And I know that there's a huge spiritual element to your work oh. and to your understanding. And that's probably maybe the core of all of it. But at the same time, ignoring the biological piece, I, I would call uh, maybe we'll use this modern term that's becoming almost cliche is uh, spiritual bypassing in a way, uh, because you are also 
uh, if we are a spiritual being uh, that is a human, we are different in that sense from monkeys. Like we make myths, we make stories, we have imagination, we're able to keep together in time. Uh, and that's unique to Homo sapiens sapiens uh, as opposed to other homogenesis species. So yeah. uh, I'd like to just touch on- is, 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 is Carl Jung, Carl Jungian and Jungian, this, this alchemy model that I use. Is that you feel this heaviness weight of your shame that you've been carrying around for at least four generations. And most Western models of psychotherapy, medicine, whatever, we're trying to get rid of that heaviness. We're trying to get rid of that symptom. Where the alchemy model is that that heaviness is not lead. It's not something we're trying to get rid of. The lead is actually the gold. And a spiritual, you know, and, and I believe that, you know, driven, we are wired for hyper focus. And you've mentioned it a couple of times that when the environment's incredibly demanding, we experience flow like no other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, totally, absolutely. And we are wired for flow and we're wired for that state of being where the separation between my brain and body and consciousness fall away. And I just become brain, body, consciousness, environment. Everything is moving together. You know, I'm separate and connected completely at the same time, non-dual. So how do we get there without starting multiple companies, competing with competitors, (laughs) uh, self-sabotaging to create chaotic environments around us, being frenetic? Uh, how do we create that and also not isolate ourselves? Because that, that's the challenge that I've run into is that, you know, I often operate so, uh, so unusually that, that like I make, you know, people, you know, uh, uh, that are the farmers nervous sometimes. Uh, and sometimes yeah. Yeah, my we reaction is my, my... the crap out of them. Um, and I write an entire chapter back third of my book is really dedicated to, to how to survive in a farmer's world and because that's where we're at now I yeah. mean, and most that's, people that's I, I, you know most people are wired in a herding animal kind of way meaning h-e-r-d herd and what happens when a cheetah runs into a herd of gazelles is they scatter yeah and everybody's on their own and you see this division in our culture now and everybody's fighting everybody and um where drivens tend to be much more wired in a tribal or wolf pack kind of way. And, you know, what happens when a bear attacks one of the wolves? We all come to that defense of that other animal. And very simply, why is that the case? You know, I'm not taking the judgment out of it. How many gazelles does it take to catch a blade of grass? One. Yeah. How many wolves does it take to kill an elk? All of us. Yeah. And so that mutual interdependence, we really feel this incredibly deep need for human connection as drivens. And yet we are the most alone people on the planet. And that's why the drugs are there. That's why we're trying to escape. That's why we're, and so creating a wolf pack of other people that are wired like us that have this understanding that we're, we're different 
we need them as much as they need us. How do you get along with other drivens though? I mean, I often find that uh, I, I end up being competitive uh, with, with them in a way. And I find that I just often don't really spend much time around them. Um, I kind of would spend more time around the farmers. But now that I say all that, I don't know if that's true. I actually think of my friends and they're actually really driven. So maybe I'm not actually accurate, but I don't, I don't spend time with them in person because they're usually running businesses and stuff. And so I make, I, as my joke with my wife, I do, I do a trip of a lifetime once a year. Hmm. And she goes, that's not a trip of a lifetime. And I'm like, yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it is. I mean, I might be dead. But intermittent, true immersion with another three or four drivens that I can look forward to hmm. allows me to tolerate amazing amounts of boredom and predictability. Because I know I'm going to be free in six weeks, five weeks and four days. And, you know, planning the trip to Brazil or God knows where I'm going to go next. Um, isn't an option for driven people. You know, the other genetics that we have, that D4, dopamine receptor number four, is the FOMO gene. It's the fear of missing out gene. It's the wandering gene. And it, it makes us feel like the grass is greener over the next hill. There's more this, uh, members over there. You know, and if, if yeah, this this made stuff, it this made it very difficult for me to commit in uh, into a relationship. Like uh, my you know my partner Madeline, uh, she's the longest relationship I've been in, which is over six years. But typically speaking, the minute the chemistry would run out, pr pr even before then, like I yeah. you know it was always like, you know. I, sadly, like just as easy as it was to knock on strangers' doors, it was just as easy to talk to women for me uh, yeah. growing up, which I find that that's really all you have to do, uh, frankly, because uh, so there's so much you know, internal blocks with most people that they really struggle with that element. So uh, at least yeah. men, I could say. I, I mean, I, we live in a time where maybe women are even more you know, approaching, but it's typically, typically men in virtually every culture. So. And if you let those genetics and this, this is, I'll say it again, is it learning to change your relationship with your body's sensations that, you know, boredom is a lie. Urgency is a lie. It's not true. You use an analogy about urgency and uh, the competitive piece about climbing poles and you have someone climbing a pole behind you. I think I, I, I struggled to understand the analogy. I wonder if uh, it so seems we are wired. Yeah, so it's actually a Japanese koan and koans oh. are, are, are riddles and it, it's a insolvable riddle that the only way to fully and completely answer a koan is to embody it. So you embody the answer. You eat it and embody it. And that's a very classic teaching. And so Cohen that I worked on and still work on many times um, is when you finally reach the top of the hundred foot pole, what are you going to do next? And it is a, when you finally get there, when you finally finish the, every freaking entrepreneur, when I finally get 10 million liquidity in bank, I can retire forever. I mean, all the crap <laughs> we do with ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> you know it, it it when you finally get there what are you going to do next and it, it took me two years 
over two years to crack that con. And when I finally cracked the con and embodied the answer, I couldn't stop laughing hysterically for three days. It was on a Zen retreat, a Brinzai Zen retreat, very austere, hard practice. Um, I laughed my ass off. I couldn't stop laughing. You know what the answer is? What is the answer, Doug? There is no pole. <laughs> there never was a pole. <laughs> but you have to fully feel that to like fully grasp that, that piece. Right. And there truly is no pole. Is, there truly isn't. There never was. And yet, well, I'll make a pole out of that koan. And that's what I found so funny. Is that the attempt to solve this koan is the pole I was trying to climb. Yeah, and then you can feel that true sense that there really is no pole. This is it. You made it. But then your trauma starts to pop. Yeah, it's so hard to relax into that. My mind immediately starts to jump like, well, I need to get this and this and this and this and this. And right, then, right, right. then, then I could, then I can arrive, you know, and then once the, once this and this and that and that. And, and then uh, you, then you go and you let those thoughts go, keeping your eyeballs open, you in particular, probably while you're walking or running, you can look around and just feel yourself again, just running. So you're talking about meditation with eyes open as opposed to eyes closed for people yes. that are driven is, is a much better experience. So it, it, it's not an option for most of my drivens because it eyeballs are, you know, we have something called occipital dominance when you put us in a functional MRI, not frontal lobe dominance. So we use our eyeballs to go through the world. Mm, mm, They're threat mm. detectors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you want to get a Navy SEALs freaking heart rate up, ask him to close his eyes in a room. Bunch of other, I mean, no. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so why fight that? I'm and thinking so, back to a, a, a Navy switch. Uh, he was on the, I guess the switch team is different. Oh, yeah. uh, he, worked, he, he worked for my company a while back. Super achiever, super driven. He's an MD and like, like succeeded really well with us as well. And I remember we went to like a vegan restaurant in Salt Lake City and he insisted on flying with his firearm sitting in the back of the restaurant and I'm like against the wall and like, you know, like to where I'd be normally I'm the one we're both like I'm always fighting for that, <laughs> like that. And I always thought, you know, I always thought it was trauma related and, and probably is mixed with that. I grew up in the project. So like I've been in a lot of and fights. And, and again, is, know, is and, it nature or nurture? The answer is yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, you know, your parents, one or both of your parents, I'm sure were driven too. And remember, we're wired for chaos. Mm -hmm. And so you have two parents that are wired for chaos, bringing a kid in with more chaos. Hmm. And so was it, it's just, it's just the world we're, we're familiar with. So we repeat it again and again and again. It works well in business. It, it's, a, it's a really good transfer provided you're able to hire and inspire other people to do those boring tasks. If you try to do them yourself as a driven, and, well, I'm not going to speak to driven because I don't know, but if you try, if you're me and you try to do the Excel spreadsheets and all of the payroll and all of the taxes and all of that, <laughs> like it's, it's miserable. I could read the book on taxes and learn tax strategy and learn all the philosophical pieces. But if you take and you put the forms in front of me and you're like, fill this out for the next two hours, like, like this is, is the key. It is utter so torture. Yeah, no, I work almost exclusively now in the entrepreneurial world. And 
if you're listening to this, burn this into your brain as an entrepreneur. You cannot scale a hunting organization. You can't. And that's, you know, hunting is what we're wired for. Oh my God, big, you know, we're going after the whale. Yeah. And, yeah. and what are we going to do when we get the whale? Oh, we'll figure it out. We'll build the airplane after we jump off the cliff. Famous driven <laughs> bullshit. You don't uh, even have to. You, like, I, could, I could scare my uh, people that have wor worked for me and people that have worked with me if I tell you how many times I've brought, I've brought all of the things on before I figured out what the hell I was going to do. And right. uh, thankfully, I've lucked out. Not if I just always what I did. I, I, I generally go in with a general intuition. I bite <laughs> off a hundred times more than I could chew. And then I scramble around uh, finding people to help me chew it up. Correct. And, uh, and then I arrive at that point and then go, shit, why? Like, because I do it because I tell myself once I'm done, I'm going to feel good. But then it's like, <laughs> I don't. And then, you know, it's, no, it's, it's, a, it's a, there is it's no a top of game. that pole, man. Yeah, we're already there. <laughs> but this, this, you, you can't scale a hunting organization. You can only scale a farm. Mm. And so you got to have, you know, I call them shepherds or there's you know the gino wickman thing the implementer or whatever he calls it where you have someone you have a coo that is actually capable of building a farm mm -hmm. that's ironic my 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 essential my ceo my active ceo which is more of a coo is a farmer uh quite yeah. literally uh that's was his passion beforehand and he's also really good at sales and he's also in the farming realm pretty driven i would say um he is motivated to move forward but he is able to focus on single tasks for long periods of time and then jump to another task and do that thing for a long period and of that time. those you know, the hybrid and that's what i found in my assessment it's a continual mm. and what my experience is is he's driven not only driven but he probably had a, a pretty nice childhood <laughs> so it's <laughs> Yeah, much better than mine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. but he's still able to understand that metaphor that, you know, what is a farm? It's it's policies and procedures. You know, you got the TPS reports and all the bullshit yeah. that farms got to do. They have to do it. But yeah, they that's... can't, they can't exist without the driven visionary actually seeing the big picture. But so you say that the driven is generally blow it up. I mean, is the, that the driven is generally the visionary? Is that yeah. is that what I heard you say? Hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's I've been I've been like given that title by many people. Um, sadly, to me, it, it seems so easy to see what needs to be done that it doesn't seem like any gift at all. And I and frankly, like when when I look around personally, I look at the world, I go like shit, man. Like pretty much, I'm worse than everybody at everything except for like somehow society rewards me more you know? <laughs> like 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 i'm so like literally this of all trades like that's that's the thing like some people like they could like do this thing and they could tinker with that thing like i will understand things philosophically and then at that point it like i know enough for whatever reason some part of my soul or maybe my biology or both goes i know enough I'm going to uh, now put this person there to do that. And, uh, and I don't even manage that person. Then I put someone else in there and they manage and make sure they get the thing. Cause I don't, I don't even want to do that. You know, uh, 
Exactly. Right, and I'm this is what I, I was eight years old. all of my entrepreneurs that, that really get this model and learn not, don't go fuck with the farm once it's built, unless they <laughs> ask you to. That's Seriously. the problem. That's the problem is I totally fuck with the farm. I feel like, Hey, I got it Cause I want to belong to the herd. Like I, I, I really do. Like I, I don't want to be by myself. You know, I, I just watched uh, Obama did this narration on uh, uh, nature. Uh, he, he was an executive producer and it's like this thing and it shows, I cannot get it out of my head as I'm talking to you. So I, I, I've learned to trust my tongue on these things and feel like someone else needs to hear this. And there's this uh, like white rhino or I don't remember if it's a white rhino. It's a rhinoceros. It's like almost in, extinct. And there's this alpha male white rhino. And it's uh, like trying to like basically have sex with this female rhino. And it's just relentless. It just keeps going and going and going and going and going. And then like the female rhino is like squealing. He's like a total asshole. I'm like, damn that damn rhino. And like all the rest of the herd goes away. And the rhino is just like in his like little pond. And I'm like, he's like totally by himself. And I'm like, shit, that sucks. You know, like, yeah. like even if he got the girl that way, so to speak, like he would still be, everybody's afraid of him because he's this and out that, big that alpha is, male. And you look at why I said earlier, and I will say it again, it is not an option that you have other people that are like you in your world that you can go have intermittent intervals with and really feel that sense of connection, deep connection, deep spiritual connection. And I see founder after founder after founder, call it founderitis, to where if you do it right, you're no longer needed in your farm. It's interesting. I actually had dinner maybe six months ago with a gentleman that's very, very successful, um, a billionaire. Um, I was at his, at his house here in Hawaii. And uh, I found it surprising because I'm nowhere even remotely, like even on the same blip of the trappings of success as, as this gentleman. Um, and uh, I, I don't want to mention him just because I would want to ask him if, before mentioning who it was. But uh, we were we were talking, and this is the first time I met him, um, and I was introduced to him. You've got to meet this guy. Uh, and him and I were talking like in this huge table of people, and then for whatever reason, like something I said just narrowed him in on me, and he was just like him nonstop. Basically, the conversation just became him and I for two or three hours at this table full of people, and I found it surprising. I'm like, shit, like like I haven't like. I've done nothing, not, not even remotely close. Like, I mean, he's got private jets and he's got islands and he's got, you know, just unbelievable things. But I do remember him saying, and he also struggles with all of gambling and alcohol and smoking. <laughs> and like, <laughs> he's like world famous for like losing more money and gambling on some certain thing than any, than like oh, anyone yeah. else, I think. And, uh, and, and I, somehow the, the conversation of meditation came up. I can't remember who brought it up. Uh, and, uh, but I remember it stuck in my mind. He goes, you know why I bought this house? And at the time it was the most expensive house in Hawaii. Uh, he goes, do you know why I bought this house? It's because I love to look at the sunset. That is my meditation. I look at the sunset. I look at the waves. I look at the sky and I just look at it. And that's how I meditate. I can't meditate is, is, is uh, essentially what he said. Uh, oh, I can't meditate the way that other people say. I meditate <laughs> by looking at the sun. And, and that, uh, that is the truth for all drivens. It, it, it <clears throat> now remember 95, 90 something percent of all meditations were created by farmers 
four farmers. You know, you, you want to make me feel nauseous inside? Tell me to close my eyes and think about a peaceful green field. And I mean, it's just like, oh, come on, bullshit. I mean, it, it, I'm such a cynic of any of that. But yeah, no, I find that I am too, unfortunately. Like I've, yeah. I've, you know, other people always try to pull me into meditations and I, I really, really struggle. And they, they're like, you just got to stick with it. And I've like, I've done it for years. Like I've put, like, I've added that to my already packed day and done it twice a day for 20 minutes. I tried it for an hour twice a day. I tried it for an hour in the morning. I just, I would dread it. I'm like, oh shit, here's where I just waste an hour of my time, you know? And like, and feel kind of, I feel worse after. Like I feel more anxious than when I went in. And I'm like, I don't know. Am I not thinking of the right mantra? Am I not staring at the center of my head well enough? You know, am I not breathing right? You know, uh, you know, and I, frankly, I put it on myself. I mean, you're, you're probably the first person I heard say to meditate with your eyes open, or you have another very unusual meditation, I would say like that, you know, some people might totally freak out about, uh, uh, especially it, it, in our yeah, the, culture, especially in different cultures throughout the world. What is the, what is the meditation that you've worked with, with people? <laughs> so the best teaching tool I have found is, is a hunk of steel a thousand yards away and a gun capable of hitting it. And learning how to manage your body, learning how to manage your hyper-focus, and this is, it's tailored just for drivens, that you can hack that flow state, absolutely learn how to have that complete state of connection between you and everything around you without losing yourself, without having to have, <laughs> my Navy SEAL, it's, Fuck, the only other way I felt this way was someone when someone was shooting at me. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and it, it's that intensity, downhill skiing, and you can get there, you know, base jumping, you can get there. No, you're already there all the time. And that, that it was just, we don't allow ourselves to actually drop into the state of being a presence. And, you know, for those of you, like you and I, that had, you know, not so stellar childhoods, there's a challenge there because when I get stable and when I actually do reality check, my body starts to really flip out. Mm -hmm. And so knowing this logically is what I teach in meditation to my drivens is why am I freaking out? Because my world is safe. And then you breathe through it and you're able to tolerate a little bit more of that. And movement meditations are how I did it. You know, when I was going through the depths of this, I was doing triathlon, I was doing long course triathlon, you know, and, and nothing like a 120 mile ride followed by a 10 mile run. And then, I mean, just- I, all, all that's great. Uh, what comes to mind is David Goggins. I don't know if you're familiar oh, yeah. with him. He wrote a book called Can't Hurt Me as a Navy SEAL and broke the pull-up record world record and uh the story is crazy to, to hear him like well he has his friend narrate but then he talks about it in the audiobook uh it's all great when your body holds up uh what happened to me is that my body gave out uh, i became uh quite paralyzed not like fully paralyzed but i could barely stand up uh i could hardly walk i had to use a walker and it seemingly came out of nowhere it actually came out of the time where I became the most safe. It was almost as if some higher intelligence knew I had arrived at a place where I could actually just totally experience all of the pain and 
shit that I didn't let yeah. myself feel. And uh, no one could explain it. Went to chiropractors, went to doctors, and they're just like, you want pain pills? And I'm like, no, man, I, you know how hard it was to get off pain pills when I didn't even have this problem? Like, like if I did that, it's game over. You know, I had to, you know, it was such a, such a challenge to get off of those damn things to, because they manage my emotions. I mean, uh, uh, oxycodone was like a, you know, Popeye spinach for me. Uh, I could, you know, I watched Wolf of Wall Street and I just watched them taking all those pills and he's showing up doing all these things. I was like, wow, now I just don't feel any of this stuff. I could do anything. I, all those tasks that were just ridiculously painful to do, I could just write a list and do anything. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess I wanted to maybe finish this with what is the, what is the physical breakdown that you see happen in, in Drivens and what, what can they look out for? So, and, and so yeah, what happens is if you have the opportunity to actually experience some success to where the outer world, like is you got enough money in the bank, I mean, you, you, and your world, your outer world is okay. And yet I still feel like it's something missing on the inside. Mm -hmm. Understanding it's an inside problem, not an outside problem. That's step one. And number two is that the outer world is actually what I need to get my central nervous system attached to mm -hmm. rather than what's going on inside my head. Hmm. That's the context for meditation. And then, then everything becomes a practice. And, you know, what it's easy when I was first beginning this, you know, coming out of a lot of trauma, it was easier for me to be present when I was in a somewhere between mile 13 and 18, you know, running. Mm -hmm. Because then I could drop in and I could just feel this energy moving through my body and I could just be in my breath and be, and it was really easy to drop but it took me to get to that physically exhausted place. And over years of practice now, you know, I've been doing this 25 years, that what ability you... to actually let my body slow down enough and every driven person I've worked with, well, I'm, if I give up my fear that's been driving me this whole time, I'll never be, I'll, I'll, I won't be as hardworking, I won't be as successful, I won't be blah, 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 blah. Totally, yes. And it, it's the actually the opposite is what happens is that when you really learn to appreciate and start to experience a new state of being, God is a state of being, not a, not a thing, you know, and being in gratitude, being in grace, being in abundance, being in these things, then you have a driven brain that can actually envision a future that is unbelievably cool rather than avoiding all of the fear. And it's a different kind of purposeful driven that comes out of it. And it, it's, we be, truly become the shepherds in this world that, that can, I think we can save the planet if we don't fuck it up. But, <laughs> but we gotta how, first to not be scary to the sheep. So it's- yeah, how, do, how do the farmers and the people that aren't, you know, or, you know, I know it's a continuum that would say that they're not super driven and that, you know, they're pretty content and, you know, peaceful and they like long walks on the beach and smelling the flowers and, you know, and all of that. And uh, I love those people, by the way, like they, they, you know, they make me, I love having them around. They like kind of calm me down, provided they're not judging me or feeling at threat by me, which they often do. Right. Uh, so uh, uh, how could they 
if they know a driven person in their life, how can they work with them or how can they help them uh, not be so uncomfortable and scary? Maybe they're dating a driven, maybe someone like your, your wife, what would you tell someone that was dating you that like, if your, if your wife didn't know anything about you, what would you tell her that she could, and you didn't know anything about what you know, what would you tell her she should, that she could help you like guide you in that some way? Be more yeah, it, it, it's in personal relationship. What what I tend to do because I'm driven and shame based is I'm very defensive. Which it for me in the experience, it doesn't feel like I'm defending myself. I'm trying to explain myself. But people around me that aren't driven experience that as me being a defensive asshole. Mm-hmm. And so. <laughs> Teaching my wife that don't take that personally. I'm not trying to defend myself. Yes, you are. No, that my experience is different than hers. Mm-hmm. Most important for me is to really understand that I can't understand what it's like to not be me, to, to not be driven. And so I become very curious about what it's like to be her. And I don't covet. I, I love being driven. I am incredibly grateful I'm driven. Yeah, that's hard for me. I'm kind of envious of people that are not, uh, it might sound crazy, but I look at how they're way more calm and peaceful than me, way more contented. And they could like, just learn something like, like DJing. My, my, My partner, Madeline, she is probably the most popular DJ on this island, some would say. Uh, And, uh, I, she she DJs because I was learning how to DJ and then I, I saw all of the technical stuff and you have to find this this song and then download it and then and then and then run it through this program and then label it and then like mix it repeatedly with this other one and then put together hours of it all to just play one time like, and I'm just like I cannot sit in front of a computer for 40 hours to do th- and I would have to do it I wouldn't be able to half-ass it like I would have to do it right. well so I'm like in order for me to do this well I, it would take me 30 or 40 hours every time I'm going to play a set. And I can't, uh, the two hours of playing that high is not worth the 40 hours of staring and clicking. Buttons. <laughs> but she became exceptionally good and she's able to do it with great ease. And those different types of drivens, you know, you have much more D2 sense of urgency and, you know, kind of frenetic energy and you know, can't do totally. boredom where she has much more of a long play four where she can really imagine what how great it's going to be and doesn't have that frenetic energy but i promise you she's got to be somewhat driven to be with you i mean she's, there's no she's actually quite driven she didn't yeah. realize how much so until she was with me it like brought that because i bite off way more than i could chew so then she ends up having to like catch a lot of that i'm like <laughs> of course we'll do that <laughs> and then <laughs> and then somehow she does i mean i i never seen anyone i've never been with anyone that could catch that many things so yeah it's a, it's a great thing to, to witness i guess maybe we'll finish this episode because i know we're getting at that time yeah, we're, uh, we're... yeah uh i had a question about if you are familiar with neurofeedback at all and uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah i'm curious what you've i've dove down pretty deep in that realm but haven't actually done a lot of the practicing uh but i've yeah, what have you what have you known from that research? Um, 
started, I mean, way back in biofeedback is, is, and neurofeedback and neuro re, <laughs> I mean, they, the field of psychology is literally transforming about every six months to a year with this stuff. It is incredible. Great time to be alive. But if you don't have that logical understanding of that new relationship to your central nervous system, I'm afraid that they're going to use this new technology just like they try to with pills. Here's this technology that's going to fix me. Mm. No, this technology is not going to fix anything. It can change your central nervous system, but unless you change the relationship you have with your central nervous system, you're still, you're never going to be in control of your life. And so learning how to actually be with your sensations and that's, before they turn into emotion, before that emotion then turns into motion, mm -hmm. you have to stop it at that sensation level and meet it with curiosity and all of the mindful practice of meditation. So, but neurofeedback can... Hmm. You find yourself back at the same place. You, you know, you find yourself back at that awareness and meditation. Regardless, it's almost like all path leads, all paths lead back there to awareness. <laughs> <laughs> and there is no pole. Hmm. And that, that, that's half smiled at that, that kind of like, holy crap. What am I looking for this whole time? It's right here. This is what you've been looking for your whole life. What I do with Drivens then is once you can anchor, anchor yourself here and see that everything is okay, you will feel then your, this drive to make things better. Not a need, not an urgent, not frenetic, not crazy. It's like, what is better? How do I make it better? Mm. And that then it, it, it's a different kind of drive. It's a, but in my experience with Drivens, you can have the peace and the love and you, you, we can have it all. We can. It would be an unfair world if you were wired in a way that you couldn't have it all, where you'd have to go to war in order to experience peace and then put everybody else in a totally nightmare situation or if you just had a bunch of sociopathic uh <laughs> drivens running around you know you know doing destroying the world which i think is probably what's happening frankly it might be a bunch of sociopathic drivens destroying the world and nobody none of the farmers calling them out on it saying hey what the hell you know we're waking up or maybe they are waking up and saying the it, hell with it, this like we're not going to follow we're not going to follow this shit it's our drivens it's us it's the Joe Rogans that, that are this insatiably curious and humble. I don't know the truth, but man, let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. And you have other drivens that don't want to talk about it because they want to control the sheep. Mm -hmm. And that that's, you know, and they will keep anyone quiet that is talking about, you know, and we're not trying to criticize anybody. We're just saying, hey, wake up, sheep. They don't want it to wake them up. <laughs> they want to. Yeah. And so I think as, you know, as I'd like to feed my, you know, shepherd inside, you know, I just try to, you know, what is going to make the world better? That's a great place to, it's a great question to ask to end this, to end this episode. What is going to make this world better?
I think Driven's coming together and uh, calling bullshit on the other Drivens that are oligarching and being crazy selfish assholes. Yeah, I think so too. I think there's something to this. I think there's some wisdom in, in, this, in this work you're doing there. I think so. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate your time. God, yeah, thank fun. you. Thank you for coming on the show today. And uh, you could find Doug's work. You want to tell them how they could? Yeah, uh, all things Dr. Doug is imdriven.com. Great. And you have your book, Driven, on Audible as well. Yeah. And you, you narrate it, which is cool. Yeah. Uh, I always love it when authors narrate their, their own work. I would. Thank you very Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And please follow us to hear future episodes where we discuss topics such as alternative states of consciousness achieved through dance, intention, and shamanic practices, sacred economics, dream work, trauma healing, building community, permaculture, healthy and compassionate living and eating practices, somatic and alternative healing modalities, politics, psychology, mythology, and more. Our work is focused on the liberation of spirit, a return to the sacred, which is a constant collective inquiry. We aim both in person and on this podcast to plant and water the seeds of liberation from economic inequality, trauma, systemic conditioning, addiction, loss of soul, loss of meaning, hopelessness, helplessness, isolation, shame, nightmares, guilt, and a return to glimpses of your birthright, of dignity, joy, community, collaboration, equality, and constantly beautifying new world where you are not alone. And always, if you're ever in the Salt Lake City area, come join us for yoga, dance, or in the garden. A community of beautiful souls are here to welcome you. We gather in community Wednesday, 6 p.m. till 10 p.m. and Sunday, 11 to 3 p.m. And we have a vegan brunch or vegan dinner after every event. Our gatherings are all ages and are of no religious affiliation. We look forward to seeing you.